How might we create a community of care in our schools through mindfulness practices? Today on the show, I speak with Laura Sygrove and Rochelle Miller from the Newly Foundation. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. I am so excited about this conversation. Firstly, because I thought I had lost a portion of it to the ethers of the internet, but miraculously, my tech support found it. Yay! That said, I am most excited because if we had lost these drops of wisdom from Laura and Rochelle, we would be the worse for it. Let me tell you a little bit about why I think this episode is so powerful. Laura and Rochelle come from New Leaf Foundation, a not-for-profit that aims to bring yoga and mindfulness to youth and their caregivers in underserved communities. We speak in this episode about their new mindfulness curriculum toolkit. We speak also about how to orient ourselves in the chaos that is this school year, how to change the ecosystems of school, and the countercultural ways we can prioritize care in our classrooms. We get animated, we get excited, we get right into it. If you're a teacher who's been feeling the stress, the overwhelm, the exhaustion from teaching during a pandemic, this conversation is like a weighted blanket on all of our hearts. Friends, I am so grateful for the work New Leaf is doing in the world of education. So let's get right into it with Laura Sygrove and Rochelle Miller. Laura Sygrove and Rochelle Miller, welcome to the Teaching Tomorrow podcast. I'm so excited to get to talk with you today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Um, So I usually start by having people introduce themselves. So how about we start with Laura? Tell everyone who you are, where you live, and what you do. Uh, So my name is Laura. My pronouns are she, her. And I uh, am the co-founder and executive director of New Leaf Foundation, I have just recently moved a little bit away from Toronto, so I'm just outside of the city these days. And um, I'm a social worker. I teach yoga and mindfulness and um, love working with young people. Okay, Rochelle, who are you? Where do you live? And what do you do? Amazing. Oh, who am I? Well, I'm human. (laughs) (laughs) It's important to start there. I love it. That's always such a funny question to ask because I wear hats. Um, I'm a senior facilitator at New Leaf and also the facilitator coordinator. So I get to chat and be with all of our facilitators in some way or another, which I have loved. Um, I also teach uh, yoga, movement, mindfulness uh, through the lens of uh, trauma-informed um, practices. Um, where am I from? Toronto, uh, born and raised and love it here for anybody that's not from Toronto. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big sister of five. Um, I am a daughter. I am a grandchild. Um, these are the things that make me I think the most proud of myself and my identity. I love the way you answered that question. That's so perfect. And I feel like I could have like a whole beautiful essay from both of you about who you are and who you are becoming and who you've been. Let's talk a little bit about what you do with New Leaf because you're doing some pretty exceptional work with young people and educators. And that's why we're talking about this today. So Laura, can you just walk us through the founding of New Leaf? How did it begin who were you when you started New Leaf? Take us through that. <laughs> well, it's a while ago now, so I have to think back to who I was then. I've been, like Rose said, a lot of different people. Um, you know, I think that the simplest way to explain it is that I was someone at the time who was pretty young, who was very impacted by mind-body practices, like in a really personal way, who had experienced childhood trauma and didn't know that like by that language didn't know that at the time Uh, well I mean I did at the time of starting New Leaf but through my 20s would not have said that 
also had been through a sexual assault as a teenager and, you know, was just very angry and, um, and anxious and depressed and didn't have any of that language. But I came upon yoga first and then mindfulness starting at the age of 18. And it, I hated it in a lot of ways, but also there was something in these practices that I was very drawn to at the same time. It was really like a love hate relationship. It's like some part of me resisted it because it was going to dig up some stuff. And another part of me was drawn to it, I think, because I knew it would be healing for me at the same time. And so I, I, I was very dedicated to those practices um, through my 20s and worked in like the yoga studio community um, in my 20s, in my late 20s, and um, became a yoga teacher. And I just always was like, I'm never going to teach in a studio. That's not what I'm drawn to. I did, but I said that at the time. I did a little bit. Um, but I was just really drawn to reaching other people that maybe had had some similar experiences to me that were young and struggling and needed some support. And I was like, this is a thing that helped me. And if I can share it back and help other people, then that's what I'm going to do. Um, and so I surrounded myself with like-minded people. Jess Robertson is the co-founder, but there were a whole bunch of people, like we're called the co-founders, but a whole collective of people co-founded New Leaf really, and continue to found New Leaf in the sense of like, we're always evolving. So people like Rochelle, it's like, we're always being refounded and refounded, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, and so just found other people who similarly, I would say in general, we each have our own unique experience. Um, in life, but I would say everyone on our team has been impacted by some forms of trauma, maybe in the form of oppression, family trauma, whatever, um, and has found some form of healing through these practices and want to share it with other young people and make it relevant for them and interesting for them. Yeah. So, you know, we gather and regather and regather all along the way over the years, people who are passionate about that. And together we we create New Leaf and we do the work. When you first began, were you primarily working with incarcerated youth and then did you expand to other populations? Like, tell me how you decided this is the community of people that I want to serve. Like, I don't want to work in yoga studios. These are the people that I want to be with. Yeah, so the, the, we did start originally working with youth who were incarcerated. Um, there was some intention to that for sure, but also to some degree we fell into it. So the intention part mm. was like, who are the youth who might be facing the highest amounts of stress and the lowest access to resources? And like, that was our, that was the intentional part of like using that as a guideline to identify who we would um, try to reach. The incarcerated piece was a little bit of a, you know, that specific piece. It just, you know, I happened at the time to be living near a youth custody facility um, and honestly knew a couple people who worked there, like from the past. And it just felt like we had no reputation. We had not done any work yet. We just said, you know, we just existed as an organization and had put out to the world, this is what we want to do. But nobody, we hadn't done anything. So we had nothing, no credit to run on, you know? So it was like, let's use our networks. Let's use, let's tap into those who we know on some level and get their attention that way and try to explain to them what we can do and want to do and see if we'll get a chance to do that. And then it was so interesting, you know, we fell into it, but it, not to sound flaky, but it does feel like it was like in the cards for us. Like that's what was meant to be. And it was interesting to start in one of the most difficult spaces to work in um, for a lot of different reasons, which could be its own podcast. But uh, long story short, we went from a situation where I think folks understandably in that space were highly skeptical of what we were proposing to do to like literally within one year, we could not keep up with the number of youth. And these were young men um, who wanted to be in the program. And then we were getting, just from word of mouth, getting 
requests from other youth custody facilities mm -hmm. in the province. And so without, there was tons of effort in the beginning, but without a lot of effort in terms of once that program got going, it, it just like the, like the requests came to us from there and that's how we started to grow. Um, but after youth custody, you know, we definitely also wanted to think about, well, how do we reach youth at a younger age? Like these are young men, a lot of them were 16 to 20 years old. Like what I was hearing all kinds of stories about like what their lives were like, some people getting involved with certain things, violence and illegal forms of making a living, but that's what they were trying to do. You know, they were trying to often like take care of their families and contribute in some way. And they were doing it from a young age, five, six, seven years old. So that's when we started to really branch out as well into like, how do we continue to do this, but reach youth younger? And that's when we got into working in schools as, as a big part of our work. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that because Rochelle, you've been teaching primarily in schools, correct? Like you've been mostly in the TDSB system. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want to touch on how hard of a year it's been for teachers. And you know this because you've been orbiting schools, but there are real structural issues in the system that have not yet been addressed and teachers are leaving the profession. I'm curious, Rochelle, in your vantage point, I know like you can't speak for all schools or all systems, but what role do you think yoga and mindfulness can play to support teachers and students amidst this chaotic backdrop? That's a great question and like a really broad question as well, right? Um, and for me, uh, mindfulness gives us an opportunity to orient ourselves within all of the chaos, to really see ourselves and find ourselves in the chaos. You know, we can often, or at least I can speak for myself, can feel like I'm being whipped around by circumstance. Um, and I think really offers is the opportunity to pause and check in with ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally. And I think it further um, helps us to build relationship with ourselves, compassion with ourselves. And I think that is the biggest uh, our world really needs right now, you know, um, when we can listen to ourselves and look at ourselves with a sense of empathy and care then we can look at other in sense of empathy and care, you know, that we don't just like brush things over, um, over generalized way of like stress. I am over stress, mm -hmm. I am overwhelmed, but we like investigate what are the underlining um, reasons and we can start to make some choices that can possibly make it a little bit better, you know, and I think that you know, all of us in this last year have experienced overwhelm to a degree that we have never, I could even say that, you know, we're all going through also a collective trauma. And yeah. I really believe in like the efficacy of this practice to build connection, build connection with ourselves and build connection with our community. And why is that important, right? Because when we're in places of overwhelm, when we're in places of stress, when we're in places of trauma, our natural tendency is actually to, to find isolation or to separate ourselves or to be alone, right? And which we again have experienced this last year. You know, this is one of the ways that we can start to slowly regain and build connection with others, with our community, with our students. Um, and it's through that, 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 that empathy work, it's through that, that, that compassion work, it's through that uh, deep listening work, uh, like really seeing work, you know? And um, I just think that, you know, it's, it's a very slow medicine, but it has such a big effect. And I think I'll just leave it at that, because... Um, <laughs> it sounds like you're saying that the practice is not about changing the storm. The practice is not about changing the backdrop of chaos. It's about rooting yourself so that you can weather the storm, so that you can be flexible amidst the chaos, so that you can find something to ground yourself in. Like you use the word orient yourselves, which I really love. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, I love that. That's why you're the podcast host. <laughs> if I can just add something to that, because I heard I heard I you that. say this, Ro, and I and I loved it, and I just want to pick up. I mean, there's some storms we can't change, right? Like, I mean, not everything's in our control. But I, I forget how you said it, Ro. But I, um, I feel like you you touched on this, and it's important. Where like when you're when you're grounded and steady in yourself, like sometimes you can better see how to impact some of those storms, right? Because there are injustices in the school system towards students and teachers, like teachers being overburdened and expected to play all these different roles and magically get like move the curriculum forward while also providing emotional support and like all of these things. But it's like when you're in the fire of big emotions about that or big stress, it's really difficult, I think, to see clearly what, how do I how do I effectively um, cre- like contribute to bigger change? Cause I'm like really wound up and like overwhelmed. But if you can like ground first in your own emotions and your own self, I think there is sometimes, not always maybe, but sometimes there is that potential to have an impact on the storm itself, which might be the bigger systemic problems because you can see more clearly and you can, you know, act from that sort of more centered place and that, you know, in Buddhism, maybe right seeing, um, you can see what needs to be done. Um, so there is that part too, I think about, there is potential, I think, to impact some of the storms, mm. but it's easier to do when you have that first part tended to first, I think. Oh, that's such a good distinction. Like I remember Michael Stone used to teach about the difference between reacting and responding. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're getting at. Like if you're not able to be grounded and oriented you're just going to be reacting you're going to be reacting to the storm but if we're responding to the storm we might be able to address some of the underlying issues that could actually help us like we really need to get to that grounded oriented responding place yeah I think that both of you being in schools and working with youth is tremendously insightful for teachers to hear about your perspectives because you're not trained educators in the way that many teachers are. You're teachers and you're in schools and you're educators, but you're not, you know, an Ontario certified teacher in that way. So I'm curious in the way that you're working in schools, what have you learned about young people and our systems of schooling from your really unique insider outsider perspective? No, I, I love being the cool auntie that gets to come in the room and take their shoes off, you know, get everybody to take their shoes off. <laughs> I think that it's, really, um, like you said, like a really special opportunity. Uh, we have an opportunity to build relationships in ways that uh, student teachers don't often have the opportunity to do. So we are at a really great vantage point. Um, and really what I can say what I perceive of the school system is that one, it wasn't designed to support mental health. Um, And we can think about like classrooms are still in the same model that they've been for hundreds of years. And we have have not yet created a a paradigm or a, a different way of functioning in school. So, you know, like, I think at a at a big system level, the school system is really highly stressed, right? Like there's large classroom sizes, uh, there's poor supports for teachers, there isn't a framework for non-punitive punishment, right? And it overall creates an environment that like so stressed, you know? Teachers are social workers, they're teachers, they're coaches, they're they're like everything. They're sometimes parents, they're parenting, right? And they're stretched too thin. And because they're stretched too thin and they're beyond their bandwidth, it it seeps into how they interact with young people, right? It, it, it makes them sometimes, sometimes, right? And I wanna say this with their best effort, because I know all teachers come in knowing and feeling like they wanna make an impact. Like I'm not taking that away. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that's really important to say, but I think that uh, they're being stretched so thin that the the bandwidth to be empathetic and to be compassionate to young people, um, there's just no time. 
<laughs> like there's there's no time and and I feel I feel really sad about that because when we are in these high stressful situations uh, we're not effective right and and I want to be super clear about what I mean by that like like we're we're not able to learn effectively we're not able to grow effectively we're not able to thrive effectively we are at a really great opportunity to create different frameworks or different um, ways of being that can allow young people to show up in a better way and to, and to allow teachers to show up also in a better way. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I love how you started that by saying wellness wasn't a thing. Like thinking about the founding of schools, like I don't even think wellness was a concept, like when school as a system was created. Like the idea of mental health is even a recent construct. So schools need time to catch up to what we understand culturally around schools and how we support people in these communities. I'm wondering now what you would say to teachers that feel like this is just another thing that's getting added on to the list of requirements that teachers need to do in order to fix school or fix students or the system. You know, we're already asked to take on the role of social worker and parents and coach and now also mindfulness teacher. Can you speak a little to that? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, something I just want to touch on broadly first that Roe was, well, you both have mentioned is like, I think that what can be missing in education in so many of our systems, healthcare, quote unquote, justice, et cetera, is like this holistic view of things. We tend to isolate like academics and emotional well-being and social well-being and physical well-being, right? It's a very Western thing to like separate these things and try to address each one in a silo at the expense of the other areas, right? And I think um, within New Leaf, as we've evolved over the years, I think we're trying more and more, I mean, we always have to some degree, but in terms of our approach, like really embody a more holistic approach in the sense of recognizing all the like players that are part of the circle, right? So it's like our programming used to really just be directed towards youth. There were no adults in our programs. It's just like, let's, but the thing is youth are surrounded by many, many people who are impacting and oftentimes creating or contributing to the stress that they're experiencing. Um, sometimes without even real realizing it, often without even realizing it, because they're stressed too, like Ro was saying, and they're not being taken care of. So we've started to recognize over the years in New Leaf that we gotta we gotta deal with the adults too. They need us too, and um, and so that's like a general overview of like what's something major that shifted in New Leaf over the years. Like let's support teachers, let's support parents, let's support other youth service providers, and that's something that we're doing more and more. So yeah, the toolkit came out of like, every time I say the word pivot, I picture the Friends episode where Ross is shouting pivot, but we had to pivot. Um, <laughs> I, I can't think of a better word. So we had to pivot like everybody. And suddenly for New Leaf, especially like our hearts were so in the in-person work um, and people like Roe showing up and like building those strong relationships with youth. So it was like, in a way, initially really heartbreaking for us to be like, what? We can't go in person and be with people because so much of we what we do is not the formal practices of mindfulness, but the relationships that we build come first. However, we had to adapt and we did. And um, I think the opportunity that the pandemic provided for us was giving us some space and time because we're a small team and like, you know, running all the in-person programs that we were doing just take a lot of time and resources and we were very busy so this freed up some time for us to be like what else have we wanted to do um what what other ideas do we have that we haven't been able to make space for and we wanted to create some resources that could get out to more people and um like beyond our reach what our reach has been able to be over the years for in-person programming. And um, so, I mean, it was just a lot of heads and hearts that came together that like brainstormed and were like, you know, let's just 
to some degree package up what we're really good at um, and take the pressure off of teachers to have to become mindfulness teachers, like take the pressure off school educators to have to be experts or like go do trainings and all of these things, because that's not realistic for most people. And let's give them what we're good at, which is like what we're really good at, what Rose really good at is like just delivering this in a super accessible way, making it fun, making it interesting, making it bite size, and just like put that online for folks. So the curriculum toolkit, um, it's kind of like an online textbook that's come to life, basically. So teachers go into this online portal. There's seven lessons, um, seven modules that each have like a lesson plan. It's so simple. Like if you see it, it's like a breath of fresh air because it's just like a little paragraph, not like a big lot of text. So it's like a little uh, simple theme, a mindfulness-based theme for the week, that module. And then it's a set of activities that's like a menu of activities that teachers can use all of multiple times through the week or one or two, once or twice a week. It's really up to them. But the activities are things like an audio recording of a mindfulness meditation, a video recording of a mindful movement practice that's designed to be done like in a very small amount of space, like standing beside a desk if needed. Um, activity handouts that are a bit more creative. So you can kind of like sneak mindfulness into something that just feels like an art activity, um, that sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Teachers get access in a yearly subscription. They also get support from our team. So there's an initial orientation um, because even if, even if this is a really good tool, even if teachers are new to mindfulness, like, we, we hope that they will learn alongside their students and it can be something that they do together versus the teacher needing to know or speak about it from their own experience. Instead, what they can connect about is like, hey, we're new to this. Let's give it a try together and we'll all hopefully feel a little differently at the end. But we do do an initial orientation with teachers to help them understand the toolkit, but also understand mindfulness and how to describe that to their students and introduce why they're bringing this into the classroom and we're available for ongoing support as needed. So on the one hand, maybe it's the last thing I'll say is just like we wanted to give the tools to teachers to kind of to an extent be able to do this on their own, but also at the same time not leave them on their own. So it's not just a thing they get and then it's just like good luck with that. We are here for them, you know, as needed and uh that piece I think is really important to us as well to keep that relational bit there. I like the idea of it being like a yearly subscription. Like is the intention that like, you know, if a teacher was involved with this for like three years, the content of this like living textbook is going to evolve and grow over time. It is. Yeah. And that's why we didn't want to, we initially had thought about something that was like, you know, I don't know, maybe something simple like a PDF document with some instructions and things but then we were like, that is finite. Like at some point that information will be out there, but we're always changing and things are always evolving. Um, and then that started to progress into like, no, let's put this on a platform where it's living. It's truly living. I mean, we piloted last year. We've made changes since the pilot. We've updated some of the materials. Um, so yeah, and eventually I'm sure we'll add additional modules with new themes and things like that, but it is definitely something that will continue to grow and change over time. Hmm. Laura, you made so many good points. I was like, this is so good. Um, and I, and I want to add and, and, and maybe bring a few things together. You know, I think often times when we get invited in schools, um, especially in classes, that might have challenges with like behavioral issues or cognitive behavioral issues. Um, it's often seen that the young person uh, is is the problem. That we're, yes. we're there to go and fix the young person as a problem. And what I continue to understand is that uh, young people are a part of an ecosystem of, of, of caregivers, of teachers, etc. Um, and I think what makes uh, this most exciting for me is that that we're not just working with what I'm going to say, like the symptom, because the young folks are really just symptoms of, of whatever's happening in the society. They're reflecting yeah. back all of the things in which they have um, also been reflected 
you know? And um, what is exciting for me about the toolkit being able to go broader and wider, whereas we were going into classrooms once a week. So one classroom once a week, one classroom, 25 people once a week for eight yeah. to 10 weeks. So we were like, if I were to say, you know, I would talk to maybe 200 youth a year. But now what this looks like is that a whole entire school can sign up to do this program. This is so amazing to me, right? It means that now we have access to the thousand young people in the school and the 50 to 100 teachers and social workers. And that now there is a, uh, now what we're doing is really changing the ecosystem of the school, not just that little micro class that got this great impact, but that the whole entire school can now be a part of this. Um, and the like for me, what I think, we're really doing is creating a community of care instead of, mm. you know, like this isolated moment of care. Mm. It becomes more um, integrated in, in the day-to-day workings of, of, of the school. And I, I think that's amazing. I love that. I think it's, it's really cool to think about this as the evolution of New Leaf, like thinking about even just hearing about how you started and where you've grown, this is a really exciting next chapter for you to expand and to share and to build. Like I even imagine, you know, teachers who take this on and them networking with each other, networks of support, like people who are implementing this, getting to connect with each other globally. Like, I don't know if you have that in your plans, Mm -hmm. but just the idea of everyone who's doing this, supporting each other, because it gets bigger and bigger. I'm just really excited for you. I love that. I love that idea. We're, we're not quite there yet, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Rochelle, like, and I and the team, like, we talk a lot about just, yeah, how do we, like, what does this, what does supporting people who are using this looks like, look like, what can it look like? And I think there's a lot of room still to, um, you know, build in things like that. I love that idea of like, that's a great idea, Celeste, we might have to but I love the like peer support yeah (laughs) I think that the the risk though with this is and I'll just speak for the teachers who are listening that are thinking to themselves this is amazing I love this I want to do this I can't take on another thing right now you know there's so many and you mentioned this earlier you know like a teacher is required to be parent social worker um, you know, chaplain in some schools, a coach, <laughs> like, yeah. a, you know, a therapist, it goes on and on. And so now yeah. they're also, they're mindfulness and yoga teachers. I, I'm sure I speak for both Ro and myself. We're like, we feel that and we've seen it. Right. So, I mean, my first response is like, of course, like that's, that's real. Um, and we designed this with that in mind because this is where our on the ground work for close to 15 years and us learning from and, and witnessing, like Ro was talking about earlier, what the, some of the challenges are. You know, we have, we are not school teachers, but we have relationships with a lot of, some of the most brilliant school teachers I, you know, could imagine existing. and. So I think that we have very intentionally kept that in mind when this was created. And so like there, of course, there is a piece for educators to do. Like it's difficult to get away from that. And, and that looks like, you know, those initial pieces of getting oriented to how to use this and, and understanding, you know, some good ways to introduce this to their students. Um, that sort of thing. But ultimately what we're not doing is ask, asking teachers to be mindfulness instructors. Like that's the really key thing is that our people are doing, I I keep saying it like this, like we're doing what we're good at. So it's like you literally in some cases are hitting play on a video. And so once you can introduce it to a good way in your students, which again, we can support as needed, you are just, it's being led by somebody else, you know, it's being led by us because that's what we do. Um, And so we were hoping by designing it that way, that it would take at least as much of that pressure off of educators um, as possible. Cause we know 
it's just not realistic to add to add more to the pile. I have a, I have just like two things to add. Um, one, I would really, and if folks take the educators training, you're going to see a lot of my face on it. So <laughs> I'm just going to put got that a great up. face. But, it's well worth you. the training. <laughs> but um, that what I really would love, right? Like what I what I what my my biggest intention would be in this is that uh, teachers take it on as time for themselves, actually, mm. as well, mm. that um, one, I think it's one of the most effective ways that you can deliver this programming is like, hey, yeah. let's get at this together, which uh, Laura spoke to, but to really see it also as that time in your classroom that is for community care, but also for self-care, like that, like, I'm going to yeah. take this meditation also for myself. And I think there's a really huge power in uh, modeling for our students a new way and trying it on and giving it our best, right? And I would really, um, I, I really want to say that it's a small time investment, but can create these ripples that move out into the entire community. And I want to use this example from many years ago, and I'm going to use the name of Claire, just for anonymity's sake, but I had a student and uh, her name was Claire, right? And one day she runs into my classroom and she's like, miss, miss, this girl, she really pissed me off, you know? And I didn't punch her. I did what you said. I walked away and I took a few breaths. Oh my gosh. And I was so excited for her because I knew what it meant. It meant one, she was able uh, to catch herself in overwhelm, right? Two, it meant that she was able to utilize the tools of self-regulation. Three, uh, she had made a choice that was best for her and her community. She avoided being in punishment, like suspension or something that could even be more severe. So with that one choice, she was able to one, find a sense of safety within herself, a sense of calm within herself, and that sense of safety extended out to the community, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge win, right? Like now we don't have principals, we don't have police coming to the school, we don't have all of these things. And like, that's the effect that it can have on a student. Now imagine if we were all working in a similar framework of being able to catch ourselves in overwhelm before we, punch somebody in the face proverbially <laughs> like, mm -hmm. right? and, and that hey like I know me as an adult that I you know I'm old enough now to have the self-regulation tools to not punch somebody in the face but we do still have sometimes these inklings of fight flight fear yeah. responses right and yeah. that that this work in the in, in the micro level um, really helps us impact the macro level for ourselves, for our students, for our relationships, for our families, for our friends. Like, like for me, it, it's like a little time investment that that creates such a big ripple effect. And, and I, so I don't want folks to, to to see it as a barrier of access. I actually would love for everybody to see it as an opportunity, like as an opportunity to be in your classroom and decide, hey, y'all, we're going to be quiet now and listen to some music. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's the thing too, like, Ro, you said it so beautifully, like just that, I mean, it's like anything, like, I mean, a little bit of investment, but like if people understand the impact it could have, like Rose talking about, it's like that little investment could be so worth it because it's exhausting like what's happening now in a lot of classrooms is not working. It's exhausting. And if a small investment of time can ease up those other things, right? Like the goal is not to add more. It's to, it's to invest a little bit, like Rose saying, to have this, hopefully some other areas ease up for everybody. Well, it's actually quite countercultural, and we know this about Buddhist practices, that it's really going against the stream. And, you know, to say to yourself as a teacher, I'm closing the door right now. We are not working on these standards. We are working on different standards. We are working on our breathing standards. We're working on our listening 
to the sound of this bell or we're doing this thing right now that doesn't necessarily show up on testing in a traditional way, but that it's actually subverting the system and doing something for yourself and for your students that we know will serve them in the long run. And it could show up in your testing. See, like, yeah, you know, yeah. there's all of this really <laughs> sweet research, right? Yeah. That like Love goes that. to say that like mindfulness practice really supports in, in cognitive behavioral um, issues, right? Like that mindfulness uh, increases gray matter in yeah. the brain, which allows, you know, us to think better, more clearly, like, you know, anyways. And if you're Claire that like was maybe gonna punch that kid in the face, you can't really focus on anything academic if you're, you know, suspended or dealing with being in the principal's office. Like, actually, these tools, you're right. You're so right, Rochelle, like that they actually are serving our higher purposes that we say school is for. But it does it does take some investment. I think the ideal would be that like a school, a whole school gets on board and that the leaders of the school say, okay, this this Friday meeting, we're just learning this and we're not going to go over this list of things that could have been an email. We're actually going to give you time carved out or release time to learn this because this is what we value. This is what we stand for. There's this uh, beautiful exercise. It's so simple, but I'm going to say it in case anyone ever wants to try it to prove a point. Um, like I've been studying the impacts of trauma for like many years, 12 years. So it's, I'm only pointing that out because I didn't need this. Ex like I thought this exercise was not going to work on me for that reason, but it did. So the exercise was one of my teachers at school, uh, like when I was doing my MSW, um, said, okay, we're going to read this short article. It's just like an article from McLean's magazine, not like academic. So pretty easy to absorb. And gave us a few minutes to read it through and then said, okay, everyone stand up. We're all friends in the room or acquaintances, colleagues. Um, and there was some sort of setup, this mock setup where it's like you pick a partner and that partner needs to like fall. You had to sort of follow each other around as if you were kind of stalking each other, like in an uncomfortable way, follow the person that you're matched up with around to sort of make them uncomfortable. And then while this was happening, we were being asked questions about the article that we just read, like really basic questions <laughs> to test us on just like repeating back the facts. I was like, I'm gonna do fine on this because I because I know this person's not really trying to get me, like this is a setup. Uh, so you'd think even with the awareness that it's fake, we would be able to answer these facts that we just read. And we all failed miserably because of just the low level distraction of this person on our back literally and it's like it was meant to prove that just you know what rose talking about which is like when you are on the one end of the spectrum distracted but on the high end of the spectrum in survival mode like literally in a fight flight survival mode um which is a, what a lot of young people are getting punished for in school that's not recognized as that um you cannot take in information, process it, use reason and logic, or even creativity and problem solve and repeat back info. You can't do it. Um, and that was completely fake and it still worked. So imagine when it's real, right? And I think you're right, Celeste, like I just want to emphasize this because I think also there's so many teachers who just, they want to do this and they want to do this in the classroom, but if it's not supported from above, um, it's really, it does feel against the grain. It, it's not maybe sustainable for teachers. And I think that um, more and more when people can understand the why behind things like this, why that we're just talking about now, it's easier to get folks more on board. And so like, you know, we try to do that with administrators and stuff too, is um, as much as we can educate about this this knowledge, you know, these facts that are true about how people function and how um, learning gets interrupted, you know, when we're not dealing with this stuff. Um, that part that you mentioned about, you know, just the whole school eventually being on board with this is so, so important. There's something you said, Laura, before about the founding of New Leaf. You had used the words, we're always being refounded. 
and I just think that, you know, we all need to think about our practices as teachers as constantly being refounded and our schools constantly being refounded. I think that that's a really important thing that you're inviting us all to do with this work that like, I hope people listening are inspired by because I certainly am. Are we ready for the ticket out the door, friends? Are we going to do our silly <laughs> questions to leave us out? If we're relaxed, if our if our <laughs> front brains are online, we might be okay. I will not hand you and follow you around the room with these questions. So um, for fun, I'll start with Laura because you're top of my screen and then oh. Rochelle. So every question, it'll be Laura, Rochelle, and you don't have to overthink it. Very okay. simple. Okay. Something you're grateful for right now. Rochelle. <laughs> That's true. We're just saying the first thing, right? <laughs> um, I had a perfectly ripe plantain this morning. <laughs> first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. I'm embarrassed to say I check my phone, a habit I would like to change. Um, I lighted incense. Mm. Oh, the last thing you do, <laughs> I know it's so good. Like it's the inspiring thing we all want to be able to do. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? Write in my journal and, um, do finger breathing, which is like a mindful breath practice that we do. Um, I'm going against the grain right now of trying not for it to be my cell phone. So I've replaced it with my Kindle. <laughs> What's the most recent TV show you binged and loved? Schitt's Creek. Sex education. Mm, <laughs> I that. Pie or cake? Cake all the way. <laughs> That's so hard. Cause breakfast, we're in... lunch and dinner. <laughs> The favorite, it's my favorite pie season, like apple, mm -hmm. pecan, pumpkin. So <laughs> I'm biased this season yeah. for pie. <laughs> Beach or mountains? Beach. Mountains. Spring or fall? Fall. Fall. Tacos or nachos? Tacos. Tacos. You are starting a podcast. Who would be your first three guests? Uh... Rihanna. Like, oh my goodness. Um, Jay Shetty, which has on purpose podcast, which he's my newest idol. And, and then I would finally, I would say Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's yeah. something about like, just like, you know, and there's a book written around him called Relentless. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I want to know what is like to be in the mind of, of somebody that like relentlessly driven towards their goals, you know, I'm subscribing to that podcast. Oh. So yeah, make it happen. Love it. I mean, now basketball's on my mind. And I'm a big basketball fan. So I feel like I would literally just like any of the Raptors, I'll just take whoever, like whoever will do it. Cause I just... That would be exciting for me. Um, I mean, my nerdy brain is like Bruce Perry because he's a he's a neuroscientist um, that I love studying with. Um, and I think also my nerdy brain is going to like Sean Jinwright, who um, I don't know if you're familiar with healing centric practices, um, but he teaches around trauma and like a healing centric modality that I really, I really love. So those are my picks. I love it. Oh my gosh. Can I take your third pick? Because you had such good ones. Cause you, you only named two. So we I'm going to add it. Let's do podcasts together and we'll have them all. On. Yes. Um, I would say like, after listening to you, I would say Gabor Mate. Like, Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's make it happen. The last question is the one that I ask everybody, and it's a hard one, so enter it however you want. What is the future of learning? Yeah, I love your face as both of you just did the exact same thing. Like, whoa, yeah, okay. I always have this vision of a strength-based curriculum, and I think this is a like a utopian view, but I've like fleshed it out really in my mind in this way that 
um, young people would actually subscribe to majors that um, they love the most. So for example, mm -hmm. if someone had a proficiency for music, uh, the entire programming would be designed around music. Um, so learning math would be designed around music. Uh, learning about geography would be designed around music. Mm -hmm. uh, learning history would be designed around music so that we would use the strength that already comes intrinsically with our young people and really just expand on it. Um, I think so many times young people are placed into boxes um, where they're like, they don't see the relevancy. Um, and I've been able to see some really powerful things. For example, when um, young men learn math through basketball, learn geometry through basketball, now they get it, right? So like using strengths and developing curriculums around that niche kind of strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that. Um, the first thing that comes from my, to mind for me is just what I mentioned earlier that I hope the future of education is holistic. So there, there's a recognition of, you know, mental, physical, emotional, social well-being. Um, reminds me a bit of like, you know, there's, you know, kindergarten teachers in my family. And in kindergarten, I feel like it's more holistic. You play and learn and learn about how to interact with your friends in the classroom. And it's like, you know, and I feel like along the lines that gets lost and it becomes very just brainy learning um, and, and the rest of it is underemphasized or left out. So I, I hope the future of education is more holistic. I'm so glad to get to talk with both of you today. You're inviting us into this work in such a wonderful way and it's hard, it's difficult, but it's so worth it. And I'm just really, really grateful for the impact that you're making on schools. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having us. This so was nice to fun. talk with you. It was fun. Wow. Wow. I taken so many notes during this conversation. You can actually hear my keyboard clicking away at one point because these two women had so many quotable moments. A big thank you to Laura and Rochelle from Newly for sharing their work with me in this conversation. The Mindfulness Curriculum Toolkit is linked in the show notes, as well as Newly Foundation's website, so you can connect with them and find out more about their work. I'm curious, how are you orienting yourself in the chaos of teaching this year? What are you doing to help your students and yourself create communities of care? Send me a message on Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow or on Twitter at teach underscore tomorrow. I'd love to highlight and showcase some of the most amazing things that you are doing in your classrooms this year. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep refinding yourself. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.